Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the French Catholic Cafe, still on pilgrimage, with the Order of Malta in Lourdes, France. Such a beautiful experience. I'm ga- joined again by Fra Tom Mulligan. Hi there, Deacon Jeff. I'm, I'm still with you. I know, and uh, we've uh, we've had a couple of really good, uh, interesting guests so far, and we've got another interesting guest with us today. But I want to assure you that I've been working. What have you been working on? You've been working on drinking No, pulling carts or pushing carts or taking care of malads, learning how to properly uh, transfer them from a wheelchair to the cart. Things such as that are very, very important. And I'll tell you what, there's just the the great grace there is in being uh, here and assisting people in Lourdes, isn't it? Absolutely. It's beautiful. And people think that we're ministering to them when, in fact, we're being ministered to as much or more, I think. We spent much time with them yesterday explaining that very fact. Because they said to us that uh, they see the face of Jesus in us, and wow. I say, look, you are Christ to us. Yeah, and that's something. So I, there is a, it's a dual. dual. I, I, I look in the mirror, and, uh, you know, especially in the morning, getting ready, and I don't always see Jesus there, but apparently they do, and that's what's so... That's, I, that's very true, <laughs> yes. That's nice of them to say. And it's a great it's, way to build community, mm-hmm. and at the same time, uh, our relationship just grows stronger each yeah, day during the I pilgrimage. Think that's beautiful. Well, speaking of community, I, I want to talk about the sort of communion of saints a little bit. It's so important to our faith, and we experience that here uh, in Lourdes. Um, I think I've met some living saints, you know, I think, and some of the people that I've met here. Uh, but what, the uh, now, who's the, the, the patron saint of the order? Our patron is, some people say Blessed Gerard, some people say Saint Gerard. And, and some people say Blessed or Saint Jared. Jared. And... <laughs> That's um, the, just, I think, only goes to prove the European versus the um, westernized, when we get into, like, Americanizing everything. Yeah. We all have our, our emphases. But at the same time, I think that it's um, the most important thing is that many of us in the Order of Malta and certainly around the world know very little about him. Yeah, well, so I'll tell you what, though. We brought someone who knows a lot more about a lot, yes, thing, a lot of things. Um, you know, we're the Order of Malta, and sometimes you got to go back to the source. And so from actually Malta, right, the island uh, country of Malta, we have Dane Monroe, uh, who is a, a history professor at the University of Malta, and you, you teach many things there, uh, and you're just a very knowledgeable person. You've been on our show a couple of times. We've really been graced with your presence, talking about the, the, the siege at Malta and talking about the the uh, um, uh, the Crusades and other historical events that are so key to our experience. But, but Dane, thank you so much for joining us here at the Luxurious Corner Booth. Well, I'm glad to be here again. I've been here a number of times, and uh, I'm always looking forward to um, give a small contribution. Yeah, so this uh, hopefully this will be a little bit bigger than a small contribution. This is an important one, because you're going to settle some stuff here that the Order of Malta has been like, is, this, is he a saint or is he not a saint? Um, so we're talking about, again, Blessed Fra Gerard or Saint Fra Gerard. Or, uh, but maybe before we started talking about his specific situation, what's required to become a, to become a saint in the Catholic Church? People think um, like somehow it just gets declared or whatever and it's just a done deal. 
And sometimes that may be a very comforting thought, like it will be arranged. Yeah, but in Someone the meantime, it. it will. It is a whole <laughs> process, and there are about six steps. Uh, first of all, somebody who had a, a very saintly life, there is a kind of cooling period of about five years, right? To to make sure that everything is settled and we don't do anything. In a rush. Yeah, they got to read the will first and make sure they didn't have any skeletons in the closet, I guess. Well, yes, also, but people can sometimes be too enthusiastic. Yes. So you need to cool this down. Um, then there is the evidence gathering. Um, if there is uh, enough evidence, there is an uh, episcopal request is made to the congregation of the causes of saints. Yeah, they call that a cause, like a, a saint's a cause. cause, and there's exactly. like an office. There's a whole right. office with a lot of people working there, including lawyers and uh, theologians and all kind of experts to make right. sure the case is true and proper. Right. Okay. Uh, so when it is acknowledged, the person concerns get the title servant of God. So 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 and so the servant of God. So hopefully one day Damon Rowe, servant of God. Right. If you if you have a cause. If you have a cause, and of course, it's about a lot of things, so you can't say these things of yourself. You right. can't say about yourself, I'm pious, then everybody has to laugh. I'll tell you what, I'll say it about you if you say it about me. Okay, but then, <laughs> then it gets taken serious. Huh? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Okay, so after they're a servant of God, after there's been a cause, then what happens next? So then there is the, um, the scrutiny if there is uh, virtue, heroic virtue, is he uh, a martyr? Is he a confessor? So, so you say a scrutiny. I mean, how does that work? They just do an they, investigation? A, they go an through in-depth, the whole history of the person and look for many sources of information right. to see if everything is uh, not if everything is unambiguous. Uh, okay. So straightforward. It's clear. That's, everything has to be clear. Right. So that, that, that scrutiny there, that's the third step yeah. then. And then the fourth step will be uh, beatification. So, so beatification. When, yeah, beatification, when you have your miracles verified. Right. Uh, that, that could be one miracle. That's normally enough for this step. And um, you must have the kind of history that you have become a mediator between us and God. Right. That is, of course, the, um, uh, the part in the past when purgatory was more intense than that present right you needed the intercessory intercessory prayers of the mediators that's right and so and and that's the fifth step is that so, the second so the, the, so the fifth step will be canonization ah that's so the you, official you, you there you are blessed yeah and then the sixth step will be um become a saint but then there is you need a either a second miracle or a heroic cause but it can be waived in the case of uh, john paul ii gotcha it was waived. So it then becomes to the discretion of His Holiness, among other things, which is, um, I think, a proper step as well. Right. Now, so, so having that process, though, is important, isn't it? Because you don't want to just have people declaring saints willy-nilly, and then you'd have some people that were saints here but not there, and some people would say, like, I don't care about this person, don't let me know that is. And, and that's happened in the past. Yeah. Uh, 12th century, 13th century, there was no, everybody... When the person was seen as saintly, he became a saint for this little community. Right. That has changed. Then, um, for a small community, a cult, you become blessed. Should your cult become worldwide, then right. you go saint. Yeah, interesting. Mm-hmm. That, well, and they developed that process, I think, over the over the centuries, just really to sort of make sure that what was happening was we were actually in a in the communion of saints that we were able to look to these people. Uh, as intercessors, and mm-hmm. that we could count on the, the churches uh, identifying them and saying, "Yes, you can. This is a saint that 
would be a, a good saint to, to ask for their intercession. Exactly. And the, the Blessed Jared, of course, first he was a member of a small cult in the Holy Land of a hospital. Nobody now, we, we should say, Fra Tom, when we say the word cult, that always scares people, doesn't it? It does. I think, what would we call it? A small group of uh, like-minded people. Right, but when we say cult, it's actually, that's the technical term. Uh, a cult essentially is a, a, a culture, a group that, ha- that have a unique culture. And so I, I just say that, uh, Dane, because, you know, so often people are like, oh, he was a member of a cult. Yeah, that's that sounds bad, o- omnibus. <laughs> it sounds very dark. So when just... you say cult, you're not saying something bad. You're no. saying that, there, that this was a small group that had an identity uh, and that he was important to that that group and that identity for for their cohesion for their self-image for their corporate image when the hospital became bigger so from a small cult it became a worldwide organization as it is now right now how does that happen that it just be i mean is it some kind of holy spirit thing that it becomes a worldwide thing or does are people involved in making that happen i think it's because of the hard work of the blessed jared yeah he was instrumental in making a small hospital into from a close monastery to an open convent opening for everybody and also I think he was the first one to um, after the crusades arrived at the whole at Jerusalem 1099 the land between Jaffa and Jerusalem was still no man's land and I think Jared was the first one to send armed escorts to get the pilgrims to make him safe Uh, because the requirement of paying the golden coin at the gate of Jaffa the Jaffa gate at Jerusalem of course, with the Christian invasion, uh, became null. There, because people died by the thousands in front of the gates of Jerusalem because they didn't have their didn't have last the coin. Go- golden coin anymore. So then what, did, what was Jared doing there then? He was created a hospital that was there to help those people there, the, the hospitality, the yeah, First, of for course, them. his hospice was one of, uh, okay, you made it to us, you're half dead, but we're going to put you on your feet again. Okay. Then it developed into a kind of palliative care. Not only uh, we fix you up, but let's prevent you collapsing. So we're going to get you from Jaffa, we get you safe to Jerusalem for your end goal, right. the, the pilgrimage. And then, of course, uh, there are many, many more things. Um, funds came in of people who were rescued by the order. Um, that meant that he could set up a whole chain of hospice, hospices from Amsterdam to Jerusalem. Right. And it still functions. That is the biggest miracle. Now, Fratam was mentioning that we don't, we don't know a lot about, uh, about this saint's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, where do we, do we glean little pieces from history? Do we have different sources that you're hearing this from? Well, I don't want to make any advertisement, but I'm finishing a, another book on the Order of St. John, and I've analyzed all his deeds and achievements, wow. which becomes a personality. That's okay. You don't have to. We'll advertise it for you. I you? have to be <laughs> modest because I'm, I have, well, modeled my life also, not around Jared, but also around uh, what St. John the Baptist stands for. And it yeah. is, in general, um, selfless giving, trying to get people from the dark into the light, and being critical till it hurts. So that's awesome. And you know what? And that really plays well into your, your love of history, right? And what you do. And, and really where a lot of people might think that history is boring or like something you have to learn or memorize these dates. It's really nice to see, look, to look back in history because I, I think it was um, 
um, it, it's just when you've heard over and over the expression uh, to be ignorant of history, you know, uh, you're doomed to repeat yourself over and over again. I mean, and that's that's why it's a, it's a great gift for us to look back, to look at these things. Yeah. Not only to look back, but to have your identity anchored in somebody mm. of significance. And St. John the Baptist and Jared were relevant then, and they're relevant now. Amen. And they're relevant in the future. That's Oops. awesome. Selfless giving is something which improves humanity, I would say. And I would in, think instead that the of world, selfless, instead of mm-hmm. selfish taking. That's right. And where where we are in the world right now with all the divisiveness and all the difficulties. Selfish taking. Yeah. So, so it's the, all about me. Yeah. What about me? Very good. Well, uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I would love to hear from you. Uh, send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And with that, we'll be back with Dane Monroe and Fra Tom Mulligan right after this. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Sometimes it's the quiet men and women who renounce worldliness and live humbly in grace who become the most powerful witnesses to the faith. Rafael Melchior Chalinski was born of noble blood in the late 1600s in Poland. It was a time when many of the wealthy nobility of Poland lived in opulence and extravagance. Even as a young man, his father nicknamed him the Little Monk. As he grew older, and after a brief stint in the military, Rafael answered a spiritual longing to serve the poor, and so left a self-indulgent, hedonistic world behind him. He became a conventual Franciscan, opting not to accept the world of nobility he was born into and entitled to. As a Franciscan priest, Father Raphael lived a devout life. He was soon recognized as a sponsor and supporter of the poor. During a devastating epidemic of the plague in Krakow in the 1730s, Father Raphael, who lived in a small town nearby, opened his house to the sick receiving many victims, all without cost or restriction. He selflessly ministered to them, providing them with shelter and medical assistance. Through his entire life, he remained faithful to his vows as a Franciscan and never wavered in his faith in God. He died peacefully in December of 1741. Some 300 years after his birth, Pope St. John Paul II beatified Father Raphael while on a trip to Warsaw in 1991. In his homily at the beatification, the Pope said, Father Raphael was never a deputy or a member of Parliament. He chose the vocation of a poor son of St. Francis, but his witness is very similar. His life was hidden, hidden in Christ. It was a protest against the conscience, the attitude, and the self-destructive behavior of the nobility in those Saxon times, and we know how the story ended. Today, the Universal Church celebrates the memorial of Blessed Raphael Melchior Chalinski on December 2nd. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff. Sitting here in Lourdes, France, on pilgrimage with the Order of Malta, and joined by Father Father Fra 
I got the, uh, the FR, and I just forgot to put the I know. A, many, the, uh, many people confuse that, and I, I, I just go along with whatever they now think see, I am. See, when people call me father, because they mistake me because I'm wearing vestments, they say, oh, hello, father. I'll say, I'm a father, but not yours. Oh, <laughs> but, but, but you can't even say that. I cannot say it, no. <laughs> Fra Tom Mulligan, and we're joined uh, by Dane Monroe, uh, who is a historian, teacher of history at the University of Malta, and you teach many other things as well. Uh, but we love the history stuff, and I get to see you like once a year uh, when you come here, uh, Dane. So welcome again to our, and thank you for sharing this interesting stuff about becoming a saint and what saints are. Uh, and yeah, uh, we were just talking about the fact that I, if a person should be declared blessed, that means that they've really gone through some heavy qualifications, and wouldn't they be a saint? Yeah, I mean it's the same for all thing, practical right? Because right? a lot of people wonder, like all these steps. I mean, essentially, you're not though, declared a saint, but at the same time, it's well. I mean, for heaven's sakes, he he uh, right. he provided a miracle to prove himself. Jared, of course, um, was a saintly man, also a very clever businessman, but let's say with big responsibilities. He yeah. had a whole organization to take care of, and of course, there was the competition, like the Templars. But the Templars did not do any hospital qualities. They just grabbed the money. Right. So the Templars were, in the end, um, not so popular, especially ah. not with the French king. Yeah. So they went to their own demise because of their greed. Uh, we can say this. But, of course, uh, Jared is somebody who is a de facto saint, and he was commemorated like such and venerated as such in France. So and having being blessed and being called saint, I mean, is that there's... I mean, is it just you get a better seat in heaven or something if you're a saint? Well, I think for sainthood for the order would mean much more for the people who drive the order at the moment. To have their own saint would be a great reward for all these hundreds of years of doing service to humanity. Right. Okay. So it's, uh, you know, it's for our inspiration. For, right? for our inspiration, it would be fantastic. It's, um, it has nothing to do with status or with... Uh, well, you said the better seat in heaven, but it is really for the living. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. But you're right. Were you joking? No, I wasn't. I want a good seat in heaven. I want to sit right up in the front. No, the, the whole thing is uh, we need somebody whom we can emulate. Yes. No. And Jared is somebody worthy of emulation. So here's the question, uh, Dane. How is it so that, uh, like in our daily prayer of the order, we'll talk about Blessed Fra Gerard. That's how we pronounce it again. But so... Why do we say blessed versus saint? And, and should he be a saint? Well, I, I argue that he should be a saint and was a saint. But, of course, uh, things get regulated over time. First, there was no regulation for sainthood. So 12th, 13th century, just after he died, mm -hmm. rules come in. And these rules are improved or st strengthened over time. And, well... The idea is that uh, in the 17th century, lists were made of all the saints that were known. It was an administrative list. <clears throat> but, of course, there is this idea of also political tension between countries. So Italy and France were not always on the best of footings. Ah, see, so, so politics comes so into it. Sometimes politics can come into it. And what I think what happened is just a small administrative oversight. Really? Yes, I think he was supposed to be on this list. He was not on this list and on mission. And I think it can be rectified with one stroke of the pen. Oh, really? That's all. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. But because your research shows that he already had accomplished or 
been my, recognized on all of those. My research shows that um, he, with all the exceptions possible, will fit in smoothly. And um, I'm writing the course. I'm uh, not about to send a letter, but I'm surely I will send a letter to His Holiness requesting this stroke of the pen. Interesting. Well, I guess you should keep us apprised of the... Uh, I will s- certainly do. Um, yeah. Of course, how much chance I have, I don't know, because there were grandmasters in the past, like Grandmaster Vignacourt, who tried the same and got nowhere. Yeah. So how, where do I stand? What chance do I have? I don't know. We're just going to try. That's right. There's nothing wrong with trying. Nothing right? wrong with trying. That sounds good. And when it is well-researched, then and well argumented i think uh, there's reason to do this so do you do you like if you're going to write that letter do you do you make all your arguments and put them all out and footnote everything and it's 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 a kind of a document of 30 30 40 pages and i would imagine you would copy the appropriate other people in these various offices that would need to know it will be an email to ccc yeah, to make sure everybody is covered. Because I'm I don't know that the Holy Father always has enough time to sit and read. I all doubt the that he has any time at all. It yeah. is we need to well, I need to at least uh, convince his personal assistants right. that it is worthwhile reading a summary of two lines. Yeah. So again, I I uh, I think it's interesting that you'd you do this. You've you've obviously got a love of history. <clears throat> and you, you spend a lot of time in it. And this is important to you, and especially your connection with the Order of Malta and he being the patron. Uh, it's important, I think. And I, I want to go back to this idea of how uh, maybe what's driving you, you know, because the fact that there might have been one little stroke of a pen that just kind of, I'm sorry, we don't, we don't have that is not this because whatever, we, but it's not a big deal. Let's move on. But this kind of is a big deal. And, and as people listening going like, why do I care whether this is, Blessed Fra Gerard, or whether this is Saint Gerard, well, it, it matters because Blessed was when he was in a small club. Right. But now we're worldwide. We're saving hundreds of thousands of people. Yeah, and so the I, I guess I, I, I guess what I get, get to is the the intercessory part and uh, the, the inspiration, the uh, emulation of a saintly life that we can benefit, so that the more people that know about him, right, the more impact that he can have as an intercessor right you have to look also at the scale and um, what we do the mottos of the order are obsequium pauperum helping the poor and the underprivileged and of course the other part the tuitio fide the fight for the religion has now become leading by example yeah and now we're doing this on the worldwide scale so why not right so if we've got uh you know, if everyone recognizes this is Saint Gerard, then all of a sudden, it, not that it didn't before have a good. Uh, uh, we didn't have marching orders because we do, mm-hmm. right? As you've, if you've, as you've noticed, but it's like it's it's you rally around the flag, right? You, mm-hmm. the, the 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 general leading the charge, holding this flag. You know, it's you see that flag. It's up above everyone else. And you already mentioned it. We're in a period of world history where we have a lot of um, self well, well not selflessness but selfishness, selfishness. Mm-hmm. Right. and I think we need to make the difference and the order of St. John everyone each of us can or makes a difference every day so why not take this a step further and for you to spend time in history and to learn these things it, what is the what is the personal joy you get in being part of this process of like well, figuring out the saint 
for me, or not. For me, the joy is discovering things. Like, ah, I never thought about this, but this is an interesting point of view. Let me dig a bit further. And you come up with things nobody else has thought of. So the not the creative part, but the discovery part of what can be possible and how to interpret it. And that has, for me, that's great joy. That's awesome. That's beautiful. And, and this idea that the church goes through these steps uh, to essentially make saints. Now, we understand that we're not making them. We're really recognizing we acknowledge, them. Acknowledging them, recognizing them, and, of course, giving a value to things. Pope John Paul II was so popular that, that it was be, well, clear from the beginning he would become a saint. Yeah. It's very clear because you can't deny the man his, his qualities. And John Paul II, I mean, being the Holy Father, was in the, the public knowledge. So the cult, as it were, was much greater, right? We, his influence and his effectiveness as a living saint uh, and his saintly life was, was well known to so many people. Whereas uh, Jared or Gerard would have been like in a smaller group and not had that influence, even though yeah. both of them would be saintly men, right, in heaven. Uh, and so it's important. This is, this is a way to help uh, Jared become more known to more people. It's not only Jared as, as a person, but Jared as an idea of helping the world in a positive right. manner. It, you have to see it as an idea, rather, a concept of people who go according to St. John the Baptist and according to the religion, but the best and most positive manner possible. Because the religion nowadays gets a lot of beatings. Ah, you're still religious, we live in a modern world. You know? What yeah. are you talking about? And that's, well, sad, because these people just refuse to look into the good part of the religion. Right. They only see the bad part, which is minuscule. It's like an iceberg. The bad part of the religion is, if you call, want to call it the bad part, just a tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And the rest is hidden, safely floating, uh, education, healthcare, community building, all the other things. They are not acknowledged because people don't even know about this. Anymore. That's right. Well, thank so, you for your work, Dane, and, and uh, we always enjoy uh, having a, a cup of coffee with you uh, in Lourdes, France, and look forward to all this. And so all the potential saints out there we're talking to, uh, live your life in this way, and one day Dane Monroe might be uh, putting your cause in front of uh, Rome. Let us know what happens when you send your letter. I'll Maybe you'll that. give me a copy of it so I, I can... I will copy uh, you in. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, that'll be wonderful. Dane Monroe, thank you so much for joining us here. And you know we're going to close this program out like we always do, especially here in Lourdes. But to Our Lady of Lourdes, we ask for her intercession. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full, full of, of grace, grace, the Lord, Lord is with thee. thee. Blessed art thou among women, women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta, Federal Association, and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly. Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.